Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, everybody. Joe Lynch here with the Logistics of Logistics podcast. Today, we have a very rare treat. We have the great and powerful Dooner. Welcome, Tim. <laughs> wow, what an introduction, Joe. Thank you so much. The I feel like Oz or something. Well, that is from Oz, but it's the Joe Rogan reference that I saved just for you. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> so today, I'm talking to Tim Dooner, and the topic is what does freight waves do? And Tim works at Freightways. We'll get into that in just a minute. But I'm so happy to have Tim, or I'll just call Dooner. Everyone else calls him Dooner yeah. on my podcast. He's one of those people that I kind of feel like I know because I listen to the podcast. I watch him on the on my computer on the shows they have. And I was like, he's kind of that guy. I always kind of, oh, I know Dooner. But I really only talk to him sparingly like <laughs> last year and then when we were prepping for this. But I consider him a fast friend. He's a great guy and very knowledgeable. We're going to get a lot of information from this guy today. So thanks again, Tim, for joining us. Uh, you know, I'm glad you said that too, because that means that what I'm doing with the medium is being successful. Because all the podcasts I like to listen to, I have this sort of false relationship with the host. <laughs> right. Like I think I know like the Joe Rogans or the Bill Simmons of the world, because podcasting is such an intimate medium. It's it's right in your ears. They're with you while you're at the gym or where you're going to the grocery store or you're walking the dog. Or, you know, I'm even listening to them when I'm putting my kids to bed at night and I got to wait in the room because they're scared of the dark, you know? So to create that relationship with the listener is really powerful. And the only way to really do that is to put a lot of yourself out there as well and to be pretty genuine. So I'm glad that you feel like you know me. I hope other people do. And I don't mind when people come up at conferences or anything and have conversations kind of like they know me because they've probably been listening to hours of stuff. So they have material to talk about and I'm more than happy to dive into it. Right. And one of the, my favorite podcasts is the Drew and Mike podcast, and it's up here in Michigan. They were on the rock station for like 20 years. That And so I would listen to them in the morning on my way to work. And they were like, they were extended family. I mean, I never met them, but I knew them. And when they went off the air kind of unexpectedly, it was like, it was like, honestly, like I lost a friend. And then they started a podcast and it's the number one podcast here in Michigan. And I listen every day again. And I feel like, please don't ever leave me again. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm with you. So I love FM talk radio and I lived out in Southern California for a while and they used to have an FM talk radio station out there. And then they turned it into like, like a house dance music station and it wiped out all of these shows. These shows you create a, a relationship with. I wake up with these shows. I drive to work with these shows. I'm stuck in traffic with these shows. Right. It's very fundamentally important. So when the advent of podcasting happened, not as a content creator, but as a listener, I embraced it very early on because it gave me access to, and a lot of these people, these people lost radio shows like the Adam Carolls of the world. They jumped right into the podcasting game and it was beautiful. I'm like, wow, you can listen to these things on demand when you're walking anywhere. And the only inhibitor at the time was just, you know, spotty internet connections. Right. And I would say also what I like about this is, you know, listening to podcasts, I do listen to a lot is I love listening to Joe Rogan. I like the Drew and Mike podcast here. If you're a Michigander, you probably heard of them, but Adam Carolla, some of these guys who were You'd see them here and there and you like them. But what's interesting is you can lose your show. You could be on Comedy Central and lose your show. David Spade just lost his show. I love that guy. And I keep thinking, I hope he gets a podcast. And so there's a lot of these people who, when they have a podcast, you can't lose it. 
they, it's usually something they own and it's a little different than uh, being on TV every day. So anyway, it is a great medium and we'll get into you knowing a lot about it here in just a second because I think Tim is one of the original gangsters of this space and in, in the logistics for sure. So Tim, before we get into that, introduce yourself and your company for those few who would not know. Yeah, my name is, my <laughs> my God-given name is Tim Dooner. Uh, most people call me Dooner. I've been with FreightWave since April of 2019. Prior to that, I was an independent podcaster, a marketer. I've worked in the music industry. I've worked in in logistics and operations, sales and marketing for going on, geez, what year is it? 2020? 15 years now. So I, I've had some tenure within the business and I translated that to the audio medium. Yeah. And, you know, you have that great, the right blend of both in that you've got the audio background and the entertainment background that you meld very well with your logistics and supply chain knowledge. And it reminds me a lot of guys who are that dual threat with, I know technology and I know freight. Usually you're a freight guy or you're a technology guy. And you're both when it comes to podcasting. So tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? How did you end? What'd you do prior to joining FreightWaves? Yeah, I'm one of those Boston guys. It's, it, you know, there's a lot of us in the, in the content creation world, but I grew up in the Northeast. Kind of unremarkable. I mean, grew up in the suburbs of the Boston area, went to, uh, you know, got kicked out of a couple of high schools. I don't know. I wasn't like a bad kid, but I, I've, I've always liked to challenge people. You know, I'm the kind of kid like in the breakfast club, if they try and give you detention, I'll be like, give me another. And they'll be like, you want more? And then like, I, I can't control myself, especially when I was younger. It's like a tractor beam of defiance coming at me. So uh, that, that was my thing. And, and you know, the, like growing up in it, I always wanted to sort of be wanderlust and get away. And then there an opportunity arose where I could go to Southern California to intern at a record label. And I was going to college at Bennington College in Vermont at the time. Wow, and, that's a good deal. Yes, yeah, so I went and I did the intern. And then I heard about CalArts, so I applied and I went out there. And as I was going to school, I was like, yeah, this is pretty good. But I, I kind of wanted to learn by doing and do things myself. I've never really done well in academic environments. My grades were like passable. But I just, it never interested or intrigued me that much. I always wanted to take the learning in, in my own direction. So I end up getting, I left college early. I go and work for a record label, then Napster hits. And it kind of reminds me of a bit about the technological changes that are happening in our industry finally now, 20 years later. But at that time I was in the business, Napster hits. Suddenly people don't have to pay for music anymore. And suddenly getting a raise or getting a promotion or even seeing the long view in that field in Southern California was really dispiriting. So when an opportunity arose to come back to Boston, I did that. A friend of mine had a room open up in his apartment and I didn't know a broker from anybody. My dad had worked for Roanoke Insurance. He was a vice president over there and he had worked, you know, he touched the logistics industry and all that. He actually brought marine cargo insurance to Boston. And when I'm out there, I called him up like after three months and I'm like, hey man, I'm running out of money. And he's like, well, <laughs> you know what you need to do? And I was like, uh, anything. He's like, get a job. And I was like, I mean, oh, anything but that. <laughs> well, you know, I was trying. Uh, what he meant by that was get it. Like, I was trying to get a job with like a video game company. They're like the company that made Guitar Hero was based out in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I thought that would be a cool gig. There were a bunch oh, of jobs yeah. I thought would be cool <laughs> gigs. I couldn't get any of those cool gigs, so I had to go to uh, this interview at a place called FedEx Trade Networks, which was like literally over the river and through the woods from me. I was living in Dorchester, and you had to take three trains there: the Red Line to the orange line, to the blue line, you get off at Orient Heights, then you'd have to walk a mile to get to 
work across a goddamn drawbridge that like would always be up at the most inconvenient <laughs> times. You have to like stand there in the rain in New England or the snow for like 45 minutes while this stupid thing went by while the LG tankers went through. But you know, I, I go on an interview, I had no idea what a broker was, a freight broker, like most people. But that's a great thing about this industry. Most people, you don't need the education for it. You All you got to do is show up sometimes. I showed up there and it was like $20,000 a year broker job. And just like most companies in logistics, they had just landed one of their biggest accounts. It was the Adidas Reebok. Adidas had just purchased Reebok. Big account. So what does a company like FedEx Trade Networks do? They give the account to the guy who doesn't even know what a broker is. Like like the first day, I'm like getting trained on doing air freight entries for sneakers and footwear. But it was cool. I mean, it's trial by fire. And it's a thing that you see a lot in this industry. FedEx Trade Networks, great company. Like anybody out there, if you're looking to get a job, especially in operations, I highly recommend them because I've been through a lot of jobs since. And they were the, and I thought everyone trained. I thought everyone trained and did it like them. They don't. FedEx Trade Networks is bar none, hands down, the best company I've ever worked for in terms of training to be operational in logistics. The only problem is, Joe, that they don't pay that much money. So like, you know, that 20,000 I started with, I ended up going up to like a senior position within five years, but I think it was, I still only made like 38,000 bucks. So I'm like, you know what? Right. I want to start a family. You know, I, I'm in Boston. Like I'm sick of, uh, you know, just scraping by. So I went and you wanted, I, you wanted to live indoors and eat every day. Yeah. And I thought the grass was greener too. You know, I went to work for a, a fashion company doing like a CT pat revalidation for Talbots. I thought that would be great. I thought it'd be longer term, but it turns out that like they kind of used me. Like I came in, I did the revalidation. They had customs come in and they were like, they made a big deal. Like we hired this guy to oversee the CT pat program. They get revalidated. And then two days later, they let me go. I'm like, you nice. (laughs) What is that bait and switch? But you know what? At the same time, you know, it's nature's way of telling you that that wasn't the right job. So, you know, it's kind of like, whatever, it didn't work out, but I don't think I was built for working in like a women's clothing company anyway, like, like Talbot's. Prob- prob- probably not. That's a, just my, uh, just my impression. I'll tell you something. It was eerie being in there though. I think they had, so like their stock was in the toilet and they were just trying to sell to new buyers and they were doing this right. marketing push. They were trying to rebrand for younger women, but it was like the fall of the Roman empire in there. You just walk by and you would see so many just empty desks and wide open spaces. And you could tell that you're coming in at the wrong time. Like this used to be an empire. It may once again be one, but when you're walking through that door, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. Now that I'll tell you what, there's a whole bunch of retailers and retail space that looks like that right now. Yeah, no, I know. I know. And it's got to be scary working for those companies. I got to tell you, like, it's definitely demoralizing when you walk in. And the thing is, this location was gigantic. Like their headquarters, were so there's no way to avoid just looking at like the ghosts of the past, like past workers. <laughs> so I, I ended up leaving there though. And I, I learned a bunch of other stuff, like just to fast forward a bit. I jumped, I did some FDA air freight and Vanderbilt forwarding. And then eventually I, an opportunity came up to jump over into the sales side. And I was like, you know what? Maybe that would be a lot better. Maybe it would be nice to not be in the office all the time, get out, meet some people, shake some hands, learn everything. But, you know, logistics sales is tough. So my first sales job was with Ann Derringer, and I did that for uh, a couple of years. And I don't really think I did it well, but I learned a lot because like a lot of jobs in logistics, they don't necessarily train you too much for it. They throw you to the wolves. And a lot of right. times you're probably going to wash out in that first role or two where you figure things out, you figure the right methods out, you figure out how to talk to people. And, you know, I went through that whole rigmarole. I worked for another, and then I went to another company after there. It was another, I, oh, the grass is greener. I mean, Ang and Darren was going pretty well. It just, like, I always felt like the fade could be better. Or maybe there's more, or maybe there's more to life. Or maybe it was like what I'm doing now was, was still calling to me and being on the entertainment side was still calling to me. But I kind of let ego get ahead of me. I went to this company, Ocean Air. 
take a job with them doing sales. And it was like terrible right from the get-go. Like I, I would not recommend this company to my own worst enemy. And I say that just because of, just because of, I don't know if you've ever worked in a really toxic environment before, but like I thought oh, yeah. <laughs> I was pitched that I was coming in to bridge the gap between sales and marketing. And I was like, well, that's really cool. I can use some of my creative side. I can bring that communication up. But it turns out that that was sort of another bait and switch. And then I get in there and they're like, here's a laptop, here's a business card. You know, we don't want to see you. And, right. <laughs> and in the meantime, when I'm there, that's when I'm like, uh, I was really thinking about starting a podcast. And I was like, what am I going to start a podcast about? And I'm like, you know what? One thing that could really help enhance this company, especially enhance my own sales, is if we had some content marketing going on, especially in the form of a podcast. This was 2016. And I was like, it gives me, instead of having to call up everybody in Boston and be like, hey, can I come in and sell you some freight? I could instead be like, hey, you know, you want to have an interview? I want to see, you know, it, it's just an entry point. It's, it's a Trojan horse, a gateway to get to knowing some people and nobody right. else was doing it. But they thought it was a dumb idea. So they fired me when my wife was eight months pregnant. They were like, get out of here. Oh, no. You know, Tim, what you described there is I worked, I left college after my first year and I went to school at night, but I had all these jobs. I worked for my dad's engineering business. I was a draftsman. Sounds so old fashioned. I might as well make buggy whips, but I was a draftsman. I drew lines. We got paid really well. We worked a million hours, but it was really toxic. And sometimes you would go to these companies where you could get the sense that they're going to take me under their wing and they're going to train me and they're going to help me get better. Most places I worked, I quit before I got fired or got fired. And after a while, I just kind of, it really toughened me up in some regards in that I thought, uh, yeah, you know, the whole idea of going into corporate world and just being successful, I just started thinking, no, nah, it's not really about that. It's just kind of keep getting paid more money and get firing, getting fired or quitting better jobs. Yeah. You know, I mean, part of it was like, it was a godsend. It couldn't have happened to me at a better time getting fired from Ocean Air because I had developed uh, a habit with, you know, I had, to, I had to put the plug in the jug, to be quite honest. I'd been drinking for a long time. It's an industry where people drink a lot, especially in the Boston scene, especially getting into sales. I'd let it get the better of me. So, when I had the opportunity, I still had some health insurance and I was like, I got another kid on the way. So one of the things I, I, I made two choices when I was fired from there, because a lot of things seem like they're out of control. And I was like, two things I can control is I can go to rehab and I can start a podcast. And that's been my plan. And it's still my plan. And I mean, I've already done the rehab thing, but it was my plan when I lost that job. Because the first week when I lost it, I remember driving out of that parking lot. They didn't give me severance, but they gave me my last paycheck. And I'm like, I'm going to buy a goddamn handle of Tito's, you know? I'm going to buy it. And I'm like, ah, I got the time to drink it. I, and that thinking that, and I did. And then I went and I got another one. And then like I, in the middle of the night, I called a buddy of mine who I know had been sober for years. And I was like, look, I am telling on you. And I sent my parents an email and I sent my wife an email. And I'm like, I need you to drive me to rehab and don't listen to the guy in the morning who's going to tell you otherwise. You know, so I did that and I got diagnosed for something that, you know, we don't talk about enough in this industry, but it's like depression, anxiety and the things that sort of fuel that. And part of it, too, is I don't think I was doing the right thing. You know, I wasn't on the right mission. I was in the wrong job. So I decided, like, you know what, I'm going to take control of my life. I'm going to start this podcast called The Shipping Pod. Did it with a buddy of mine. I was like, talk about what you know about. And I felt like at the time, I'm like, I don't know how far it will go. For me, at that point, it was like, let's content market myself to get another job somewhere in the logistics industry. And very quickly, very early on, I realized that that was going to be tough because a lot of companies that I interviewed with were like, yeah, we like this, but you can't do the podcast. And I, and I was already believing very strongly in it. And I'd been doing it for months and knew the hard work that went into it. And I was like, no way, this is the horse that's going to get me somewhere. You know, another right, sales job's not right. going to do it. <laughs> not not working inside sales at uh, like one place I interviewed in Quincy. It took me, it was like the Stepford job. Like, 
you went in, you're wearing a name tag and like everyone comes up and, and looks at your name like, and this is the Northeast, man. People are assholes up there. They're like, hey, like, like, hey, dude, good to be here. Everyone's like shaking your hand, all that kind of stuff. You know, the sales guys are banging a gong every time they sell something. To me, it seemed like a nightmare. Like there's no, there's not a free beer in the world when you're sober <laughs> to make you, to be enticed to work for the Stepford job. They even made you take the Wonderlick test. So that, and that was exciting, but. So I ended up doing this path and then it got me where I needed to be in that year, which was doing some ghostwriting of blogs, getting me back onto the marketing side where I wanted to be uh, for the past couple of years in logistics. And the show got me hired by another company called Avorn and Company. And they're like, hey, we really like the traction you've done. Like, it's amazing to us that with zero. They still have a nice podcast. What's that? I think they still have a nice podcast. Yeah, Consulting Logistics. I launched that for them and I did like the first 30 episodes or so. And a uh, guy, Steve Aborn over there, he was like, he really believed in podcasting. And he's the guy who really gave me my shot and just put enough gas in the tank to get me going. Because that first year doing podcasting, I think I made like $13,000 and I didn't make it from the podcast. I made it indirectly from the podcast by writing like blogs and doing podcasts for other companies and using those skills. In year two, I got hired though by Aborn and Company and they were like, yep, do consulting logistics for us. You'll be our director of marketing, which was hugely beneficial because they were just like, this is your sandbox. Just take the company, take the brand and do your damnedest with it within reason. And they gave me a lot of leeway and a lot of runway. And it was an awesome time. And I'd still be there if one key crucial thing didn't happen. At where? Aborn Company? Yeah. So I was with Aborn and Company. I'm doing a podcast for them called Consulting Logistics. And this was in March or February of 2019. I reached out to Craig Fuller, Freightways founder and CEO, to interview him on the show. Really liked what the Freightways brand was doing. Really liked the look of that, you know, the attitude that they were putting out there. It really seemed to align with kind of the messaging I was doing. And I thought that like, He's a guy we're talking to. And I thought like maybe somewhere down the road, I would work for Freightways. I didn't know that this interview would lead to what would happen next, but I put the episode out there. He really liked the results of it. And within a week, he contacted me on LinkedIn and said, if you ever want a job, there's one for you in Chattanooga. And I tried to like not be like desperate guy getting a message on Tinder or something and replying right away, but I couldn't help myself. I replied right away. I'm like, oh yeah, hell yeah. What do I got to do? So he's like, let's set up a phone call. I talked to him, flew out there. I didn't know Chattanooga from Timbuktu, you know, but it turned out to be pretty good. Then I had to convince my wife because we got family out here. So we went out there on sort of a, a decision, you know, trip and we stayed in the city. We walked around. We went to see if we could find a place to live that made sense for the kids. And it turns out Chattanooga is actually really awesome for like a three and a five year old. There's a, I mean, when there's not a pandemic shutting everything down. But in 2019, pretty, pretty awesome because there's right. rock, there's Rock City here. There's a, there's two aquariums. There's the river. It's a super outdoorsy area. I mean, it just turns out to be really, really beautiful. So we decided we could make it work and we did. And we packed up the car. I came here because it was so abrupt. Like I mentioned, I interviewed him in February, came back to me. I started in April, but I accept the job in March. So I had about a month to prepare. We had a house. So my wife and the kids stayed behind and sold the house. So I go down there. They rendezvous with me a few months later. And here we are now with the biggest network, the biggest podcasting network in the world. Uh, we got a TV station now. All things that have grown since I, I got there, grown or been developed. It's pretty awesome. And it's been a great experience, but it's exactly what I was hoping and what I intended to have happen when I came down here. Like I came, this to me was like a, like a mission, you know, like it just seemed like, like I'd finally really caught on to the purpose of what I wanted to do. And I had never seen anything with any more clarity than when I knew I had to come down to Chattanooga and do what I'm doing at Freight Waves. Yeah, it's interesting, Tim. You said a few things that I'd like to comment on. So first off, you mentioned you know quitting drinking and kind of pursuing your passion, even when it wasn't paying the bills. And I think a lot of people would probably say they see the same thing. Is a lot of times when people are kind of consumed with drugs, alcohol, anything, 
as soon as they're free of that, it's almost as if that was the restraints that were holding them back. And, you know, and then to pursue it with the zeal you have has been fantastic. Congratulations on that. Well, Joe, when you're um, an addict, right, you got to find something new to get addicted to, right? I mean, you have to. Right. Right. But here's the thing, like if if I was having hangovers or something or I was still drinking, it would have been so easy to quit in that first year. Quit, not drink, quit doing a podcast because it takes works. It takes a lot of effort. You know, your first six months or so when there's 15 to like 30 people listening to you and half of them are your, your friends or family, it is not the most encouraging thing on earth to be doing. And you really have to be convicted to get through those early stages. And this is true probably of basically any content creator. There's that huge growth period. Right. And a lot of people wash out in that first year. I tell you, Tim, my first articles I've written, I would go, what the hell was I thinking? I have to take that down before somebody sees it. Yeah. Uh, and I was convinced that, you know, somebody's going to see it. And I was going to be like chastised, like the director of, of logistics <laughs> on earth was going to say, take that nonsense down. And then same with my podcast. When I started doing the podcast, somebody said, I really like your podcast. And I just cringed. I was like, I can't stand it. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing it. And, and I knew I wanted to do it, but it just... I could listen to my guests. I couldn't listen to my nonsense, though. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. There is a learning curve for people. The other thing I wanted to learning curve for creating content, and you got to push through that. I would encourage anyone who's creating any content, just keep going. Tim, you mentioned one other thing. And when I had Tim Fuller on my podcast, we talked about this, is Adam Robinson, who was over at Saracis, is a friend. And I remember one day talking to him, Just he was a blogger, I was a blogger, and he said, I don't know what Freight Waves is, but they have so much content. And he goes, he goes, Joe, they must be just spending a fortune on content. And he goes, where'd they come from? I, and I kept going, I don't know, but I was the same as you. I would always be typing. I don't get, I don't read magazines. I type in topics I'm interested in. And I was like, more and more, they're Freightways articles. And I said it to Craig, a lot of times you'll see an article written and you go, that guy doesn't understand this business because he's not using the right, it might be correct, but he's not using the right lingo. And everything from freight waves, you're like, this is like some freight broker or freight forwarder sat down and wrote an article after work. It's phenomenal. Yeah. And, and I think that that concept that freight waves has been born of, because I, I mean, the original visionary and huge guiding force still is Craig Fuller. And he knew that when he was starting, I mean, there's there's been a few iterations of freight waves, but the freight waves we all know and love right now was sort of born of the idea, the new side was born of the idea of content marketing that sonar data platform because the old media, the old freight media either wouldn't cover what he was trying to do or when they did, they would put interviews out months later. They were on the magazine schedule. Right. <laughs> and when you're building a new company, like you don't want the echoes of the past constantly following you. So you do an interview from three months ago, your product may have changed substantially in that first year. You're going out to investors, you're going out trying to do a seed round. And then this marketing piece comes out that could be talking about a direction that you've already moved off of. I kind of have the same opinion from him too. I don't like going on anyone's show. It's like, we're going to hold or embargo this interview for, for a couple of weeks because I'm like, that guy two weeks ago was dumber than the guy right now listening to it because I know more stuff. I don't want to hear that ignorant a-hole from two weeks ago. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. And yeah, you're. so this is a good segue. Tim, today's topic is what does Freight Waves do? And I think the reason I wanted to do this podcast with Tim is, I kind of know what they do because I've talked to them quite a bit in the past. But what's interesting is I don't think people have a sense for if you go, oh, yeah, they, it's a website and they do uh, they have a lot of content. I think the way they're doing content is different and better than anyone's done it before. It's a lot. I think we'll get into this, but it's not the stodgy old model. It's not your dad's freight news business. The audio and the TV 
is fantastic. I don't think anyone's done that before. If they did it, they did it in small ways. And then the sonar and the data analytics, fantastic. So let's, Tim, why don't you take us through what does Freightways do? Tell us about the vision and all that. And I usually wouldn't talk about companies like this because I don't want to do infomercials. I just think this Freightways is a different kind of company in that in a lot of ways, I'm not just saying it's nice. It's almost as if a big chunk of the world of logistics is circling. We're orbiting the freight waves. We're the freight waves sun. Yeah, there's a reason for that. And I think that it's because Craig is good at hiring people that are really at that point in life where they want to prove they can do something, you know? So there's a lot of energy circulating around that building and that creates the gravity and the the orbit and the momentum that you're seeing and what attracted me to it and what attracts readers to it and what attracts listeners to the content. But it all started with the data platform, which is the Sonar data platform, which is kind of based off this thing called the waterfall theory of freight. And the Waterfall theory of freight goes as such, like in the dark ages, people would just look at DAT, right? And all they would know is what the spot rates are of the time or what their their negotiated contract rates were that they were doing with RFPs. There wasn't much insight, right? Market insight to glean from that. So what Craig Fuller did is he's like, you know what, this waterfall theory of freight though, he's he's a trucking brat. He grew up in trucking. His dad, Max Fuller, owns US Express, right? And his brother is now the CEO of US Express. So he is very familiar with how trucking works. And a lot of organizations writing about trucking aren't. So I think for one thing, he would get very annoyed by the editorial a lot of companies were putting out. Like maybe they knew ocean freight really well, but they knew F all about land transportation. So what he knows and what bears out for the industry at large is the waterfall theory of freight, which is that volumes dictate rates. So the more volumes there are, the less capacity there is, the higher the spot rates go. So you can use that as a leading indicator. And that's basically, if you just want to boil down sonar into its smallest equation possible, the smallest amount of mass is it tracks it tracks volumes, rates, and those kind of things. But it really stems back to those volumes, the outbound tender volume index, the outbound tender rejects. The rejects are when freight is rejected, you know, because better rates can be found within the spot market. So both these things are indicators. Now, I'm not like a data scientist, so... I rely on like our research team to, you know, explain and to condense a lot of this stuff for us. But here's the thing. Craig understood most people aren't data scientists either. So in comes the editorial side and the content marketing side. And it was like, how do we put stories around this? How do we tell stories and humanize this data so that people in this industry, especially those that may not be that technical, can understand how this relates to what's actually happening within the freight news and the freight flows? And then from there, it sort of expands it out to covering industry news. And now we're covering breaking news on TV and in audio and all of that stuff. But that's how the mass, that was the big bang. Sonar was kind of the big bang of freightways following that waterfall theory of freight. Now where I come in and the rest of us come in is editorial. So editorial started... I believe it was in either, it was probably 2016-ish, 2015-ish when they first started publishing. I know their big story was covering a hurricane. And then Brian Strait was, uh, I believe, our original editor over there. And then he hired and expanded a team out from there. But for a long time, the FreightWaves team is much, much smaller than I think you would think by looking at that website or by Adam Robinson would think looking at that website. We squeeze a lot out of a little. But one of the advantages of that is that there are not too many voices clouding vision. So a lot of us, when we have projects, we kind of pick the ball up and run with it. So there's a strong creative vision by whomever is producing what they're doing that stays within the scope and the confines of the brand that is Freight Waves. 
Yeah, I love what you had to say there, Tim. So one thing you just talked about, you guys being a lot leaner, a lot smaller than people would think. I watched the uh, Joe Rogan podcast a lot on YouTube, and I saw somebody from, I don't know, maybe it was Fox or MSNBC or one of those things. And the guy said, I'm amazed at how small your team is. So he's got 2 million YouTube views on this. God knows how many listens on podcasting platforms. And yet he's got Five, five, six guys hanging out there. And he doesn't have this whole vice president of this, vice president of that. There's not a whole bunch of bureaucracy. So I know you guys are doing a lot with a little. If I could also say this about, you said something about, it started with data and analytics from Sonar. And then you guys said you wanted to tell stories. I think that's really an important piece to me. And the reason I say that is I've spent a lot of my career in the supply chain, first in engineering, then in supply chain. And there's a tendency sometimes when people go, hey, we got this data. Tim, I'm going to send you last week's lanes. And then you get an Excel spreadsheet or a download out of a TMS. And you go, hey, thanks a lot, Joe. Uh, this is really great to get this. But really what you want is you want to say, give me you analyze it, Joe. I paid you. You analyze it. You tell me what that is and what I should know about it and how I should act after I hear about it. And I think that's a cool thing about what you're doing with the other pillars. So it starts with Sonar and then it goes to Freightways.com, which is saying, we're going to tell stories about what's going on from the data. Yeah. And then, then a natural extension of that was to go into things like podcasting and then the really ambitious part of also building a TV station around that to broadcast this stuff. And I think one of the advantages that we probably have over some of the legacy media in our space is that we are a company of its time. So we're using the rules that are established in 2020 or 2019 versus old standards that may have been written in 1995 or 1990 right. or the 80s or something. When we were prepping for this, I I, t- <laughs> I told Dooner that he works on a damn pirate ship. <laughs> we, we do. We have flags there. I mean, there's it's it's an inside term there, too, that this is a pirate ship. And the reason is like we are a little bit encouraged to go out and break things. I can't think of a lot of companies that would let me just sort of come in and do to what the truck, what I did to it. I mean, that was their podcast that was, that was sitting there when I got there and it was, it's not, I'm not saying it was directionless or anything, but like they, the idea of it was, Hey, we want to have a podcast. We need to have two people do it. So they took two people internal to side at the time, Chad Prevost and John Paul Hampstead. And they did a great job. But at the point that I came in, I was like, I have some really, really interesting plans on what I want to do with this. So I took over as the producer and, and the host of it. And I really turned it in into sort of a mishmash of that FM radio that I loved listening to in the car, that sort of zoo show, just that kinetic energy being really fast. And one of the reasons I wanted to do that was that I found that a lot of shows and why I originally started podcasting was I found the podcasts that did exist were too much like webinars. Like they were right. <laughs> they were done for like 65 year. And I don't want to bring an age thing in this, but it just seemed like they were done for a different time for, for like there were, the, there used to be these really big airs that would be put on logistics. And it was like, you always got to be in a suit. You always got to use this verbiage. You always got to use this vernacular. And to me, I would go to conferences like that. And I'm like, it was, it's the same MF for speaking all the time. It's the same crap pandering to the room. It meant nothing. I walked away learning nothing. And, and everyone just wanted to get to the bar as quickly as 
as possible at those events. So And you can't go to the bar anymore, so you better no, do something else. <laughs> I gotta do something else. So I'm like, you know what? The real cool conversations are the ones that are happening at the bar and in the hallways at these shows. So that was just originally like, like let's just take, let's democratize a little bit. Let's not act like this is bigger than it is. I mean, it's freight. It can be complicated, but it's not that complicated. I mean, so I, and people that are in freight, my theory too was that we're regular people. So we have other interests as well. So it's okay to blend entertainment into that kind of format and, and to bring in other things other than just strictly talking about freight. Cause part of the thing is like to, like I had a professor to always tell me the hardest thing to do is to explain something easily to somebody. And that was always my goal was to sort of make it a little bit harder by making it seem easier. Right. It's funny what you mentioned about, you know, making them a little more accessible. I feel very strongly that we have this very formal way of talking and that's fine in some certain situations, but it, it's not interesting and it, you can lose people. And I think there's sometimes a language that every industry, including ours, starts to develop that you don't even know what they're talking about and you, and you just hear it. So when I first joined logistics. I was uh, from supply chain side, more of a supply chain guy in automotive. And I remember when I joined this transportation logistics company, uh, right away, they started with TL, LTL, this, that, the, oh, that's BOL. And I remember it was like one of those things that just instantly turned me off. And then when somebody said, hey, here's the way LTL tariffs work, and they're extremely complex. And I remember thinking if I was in my 20s or 30s, I might have said, that's fine. It has to be very complex. But since I was in my 40s, like almost 50, I said, it should not be complex. It has to be simplified. And to some extent, I think we get in this mode of letting things become complicated and then it's not as accessible. And I think that when you break things down into simple bite-sized chunks like you're doing, people can start to make it better. Because before that, they just kind of go, oh, I don't give a damn. It's too hard. <laughs> you know, well, it's, you it's always that way. There's a whole bunch of experts. Well, and, and the language too. I mean, the, within our own industry, one example is like a 3PL, for example. If you worked for like a global 3PL, your thought perspective on 3PLs is they do a lot of ocean freight, they do some air freight, and they may not care that much about inland transportation. If you talk to a trucking company 3PL, they're like, no, everyone moves land freight. Nobody, they have a completely different perspective on the industry and how it's looked at. And there's numerous words that mean different things depending on who you're talking to. So when okay. I, a lot of times when I'm producing shows, I try to remember the ears I was hearing with and the eyes I was seeing with and I walked into FedEx Trade Networks and didn't really know what a broker was. And I try to think like, is this a concept that the audience would understand? Like, should I be dismissive without over explaining, not, not patronizing over explaining, but n also not using terminology that immediately gatekeeps right. people from the information. Yeah. Right. Tim, when I started this podcast, one of the things I really wanted, and I listened to yours, as soon as I started doing this, I started this in 2018. I listened to yours and I listened. Well, what's nice about Freightways also is they jump in and create a podcast over anything. They had one on COVID-19. Oh, yeah. I love <laughs> where, where, I remember somebody said to me, can we do something on COVID-19? I was like, no, nah, that's just not my kind of podcast because I like my stuff to be evergreen. I said, let Freightways do that because that's what they're up to the minute. And as soon as this doesn't make sense anymore, they close it and start a new one or rename it. And I love that about you guys. But I think also, I don't like jargon. I don't like salesy talk. And so if you want to turn people off on a, a podcast or in a, a speech, just get salesy, throw in some jargon. And before you know it, People will be picking up their phones and seeing what's going on. Yeah, you know, we, and this happens too. Like I interview a lot, like on What the Truck, we interview like four people an episode. And I always like it better when someone's coming on and they allow us, to, like if they just give me some bullets, like what do you want to talk about? 
right? And let me have some bullets. Don't write me a bunch of questions because you have to, like, for me, from the producer side of my producer brain, I'm like, I know the audience and I know where to take this segment. If you write a bunch of questions, what's going to happen is... And one of the reasons I never write questions is unless they're sent to me and I have to do it for whatever reason is it gives you lock. You start locking onto that page or on that script sheet. And instead of being an active listener and being like, oh, this is a natural flow of conversation. I want to bring you here with it. You're instead focused back on, well, okay, my next question is this. I got it. I got to go here. Regardless if it makes sense to the situation or not. Yeah, I like to have, I didn't send them to you, but I oftentimes create questions, but it's like five or seven, not not 25. Because I'll tell you that it's, if it starts being scripted, you can hear it. And the oh, yeah. same when I do webinars, I always feel like if I script it too much, it's not conversational. I like podcasts because they are conversational. Uh, if you get two people on, if it's not conversational, ugh, it's ugly. So anyway, get, getting back to this, Tim, we talked about three pillars. So first off, it starts with data analytics, your sonar platform, and then freightways.com. I want to mention this. How many articles a day do you guys publish on freightways.com? We publish, geez, so I run the audio side, the podcasting side. I, I, know, I know we I do. No, 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 but that. I'm like, podcasting alone, we do three podcasts a day. Editorial, and I write a lot of the, the podcasts, so I have to read all the news, and I'm like, I would say there's probably about 25 articles. <laughs> that's like, what I that's, Kevin Hill was just on the show. I think he said 25 or 30 a day. Yeah, because we also have American Shipper, and those kind of cross over. Some end up on FreightWaves.com, some end up in American oh, Shipper. Which, what is American Shipper? I know I get that, and I know it's FreightWaves, but it just kind of, I didn't get ever get an explanation what that was. American Shipper is uh, old school. It used to be a publication. It's been around for a, a long time, and it covered the ocean freight markets and, and that kind of stuff. A lot of regulatory focus and those kind of things. And we brought in to sort of enhance because we were a lot more data and trucking focused. So we wanted to get more global with it. It seemed like great branding and great positioning for us. And we really like the the legacy and the archive that we're able to bring in too. It's really cool to read like stories from nearly, uh, you know, from 50 years ago about the Bay of Pigs and how that affected freight and all that kind of stuff that we now have. Oh, wow. With an archive. <laughs> so th- and we haven't even exploited anywhere close to where we could with it. And a lot of times is because we're moving so fast forward to look back, but knowing that that archive is there and as we build out content for TV and everything, these are just great materials and great assets for us to have. And it's a strong brand and it brings in a great community and one that I'm very familiar with having started out at FedEx Trade Networks on the international trade side. Fantastic. So, Tim, we talked about these three platforms versus the Sonar, which is the data analytics side, then FreightWaste.com. And we talked a little bit about the audio a lot. Talk a little bit about the TV and then we'll wrap this up and I'll ask you to summarize. But first, talk about TV. Yeah, so TV is the other pillar that kind of grew up when I came in there with podcasting. You brought in Emily Zink. She had been in news for the past decade. She was an anchor on a bunch of different news stations. And she came in, she brought that sensibility. Originally, she was just going to be like a head anchor on Freightways TV. But very quickly, we realized none of us knew what we were doing. Like I knew the audio stuff, but I don't know how to do TV. So she actually had some sensibility there. So she became kind of a leadership asset on that TV and then ascended to becoming the GM of content because of her experience and all of that stuff. But we've always worked very closely together. We came in a month apart and most of our original shows, the original show was on a GoPro. It was called Freightways Now. That predates Emily and I. But the next show was What the Truck. That was the the next show that we filmed. We just put, at the time, we were like, well, let's just get our chops going because 
you mentioned this earlier, like being, um, uh, you know, embarrassed by my original content or my first article or my first podcast. Hey, look, same thing when you're starting a TV station, you got to start from somewhere. And we're like, you know what? We will just like, there's a lot of podcasts being filmed. We'll just put a camera in the room. We'll film what the truck. And then from there, I'm like, I was only doing what the truck once or twice a week. And I'm like, well, I got, there's more time in the week. There's more stuff for me to do. So initially we were just filming a lot of the podcasts and those have kind of just become more and more hybrid. You know, the podcast side is still retained, but we have to alter the formats a little bit to also fit into what they want to do in TV. And my goal as a producer on that is always be like, don't, like if they want to use some, like some chart or some visual element, I'm like, no, this is also an audio podcast. No, you have to speak to it if it's going to be in there. But that's how we've built the TV out. And that became a huge asset for us because another pillar of our business was the events business. Then COVID comes, right? We just had that huge event in November. We had Freight Waves Live in Chicago. Huge, awesome, big event. Wolf Wall Street there. You know, good times. I wanted to be there, but we got snowed in here in Detroit. Oh I couldn't get there. We risked our lives going to that thing, man. We half of Freight, well, not more than half, like 95% of Freight Waves had to jump in vans and drive up there. We had to, I hope nobody from, we got, I had to jump in the fuller plane <laughs> to get over there, but we had to open up the show oh, in nice. the morning. We had, we had to open up the show in the morning, but that was scary, man. I felt like Richie Valens and the big bopper. We're like, wait, nobody <laughs> can take off or land anywhere, but we're going to jump in a little rickety plane and land like on a private airport, 50 miles from O'Hare. Okay. All right, we'll do it. So we did it. It all worked out. Everything was fine. But then the COVID happens. We're supposed to have Freightways Live Atlanta in May. In March, everyone starts canceling. Everybody starts canceling. It becomes not not safe to do it. And there's more outbreaks coming on now, too. So this whole year might just be like a wash for events. But we were like, you know what? We still want to put this on. We still want to do it. So let's see what we can do in the virtual event space. We never threw a virtual event, but we do have that TV station. We do have that experience of filming people talking and speaking all the time. We film What the Truck, Put That Coffee Down, Great Quarter, Guys, Freight and Numbers, uh, Fuller Speed Ahead, all these different shows. We were familiar with doing the format. So we're like, well, let's do a conference where we'll have some interviews where it's, you know, these one-on-one fireside chats. You can do those over Zoom or Skype or whatever it may be. That's very forgivable in this environment. I mean, you see it on the major news. We'll put like a good package around it. And we'll also have a live stage going on between that. So I'm kind of doing play by play with Michael Vincent after each set. You know, we're talking to the audience that's in the Slack channel, talking about what we just saw, condensing it, pushing forward to what's going on next, and then also interviewing live guests. And it ended up being a very, very successful format. So much so we're now doing a virtual event a month. And it became this other leg of the chair that was sort of born of these things we'd already been building. And that's very much what Freight Waves is. Freight Waves is taking advantage of opportunities and using the skill sets we have to do things we don't know a damn thing how to do and then succeeding. Yeah, that, that's a fantastic culture that you guys have developed down there. And I will also throw this out there is in transportation and logistics, we've seen this where some companies saw home delivery and said, oh, we've been shipping to Walmart and to Target and all these companies, and they they saw themselves as that's just what we do. We all we do truckloads to these retail locations. Others said, you know what, where retail's going, it's going direct to home, and they made that switch. Not everybody though, because it, it really is a cultural thing. Are you ready for that change? And again, I love how fast moving you guys are. Again, when that COVID nineteen hit, you guys all of a sudden are doing a podcast on it, and then as soon as it started to slow down, I think you guys changed the title. It's not afraid of starting, not afraid of closing, and not afraid of you know 
taking a chance, which is such a contrast to the stodgy, slow industry that logistics media we had in the past. And again, getting a magazine that tells you what was going on three months ago, written by a guy who has vested interest in a topic, it doesn't particularly help you get better at transportation and logistics today. You know, it's very much like what media does. I mean, we're just able to do it really quickly because we're doing things light and lean. And that's kind of the nice thing when you're building something out. There's not, you can still move your arms around. There's not too many people in the way. But like, for example, Freightcast. Freightcast the podcast network I build, which has 12 active shows on it, but... There's 16 shows that were developed for it. Four of them are buried in shallow graves with no headstone, you know, and because we're not afraid to fail. You know, you did six of them. It didn't really pick up an audience. It's taking more of someone's time when they could dedicate resources to maybe building another show. Like I was doing a show called The Poor Report. We did 10 episodes of it. It was fun. I like talking about the international trade thing. You know, I, I like talking about that because that's what part of my background is in. But the Freightways audience, not really that huge with them. And it didn't get picked up with the American shipper audience like I liked it. So at the time I was talking to Kevin Hill, who you'd interviewed, and I was like, like, man, you know, it'd be fun to do just riff on sales. Let's do a sales podcast. Let's do put that coffee down. We don't have to talk as much about freight. It'll just be kind of an outlet. We'll do it in the middle of the week. It'll be like your noon o'clock coaching on there. And we'll see if it catches on. And it caught on almost immediately. And now we have like this great community on LinkedIn where people watch the shows with us. They're highly interactive. So, you know, I also do the radio show. I love having callers on there. We tried doing callers on the show. It's a little, uh, it could be a little bit janky. I don't know. Radio audiences are, are more trained. But one thing the internet audience is really good at is commenting along to the show. So we just read the comments, interact with the people, allow them to help us build the show. We give and we give back to them. It's, it's one of the most rewarding shows that I do over at Freightways. I love doing Put That Coffee Down. Yeah, if I could, it's a great show. And you just have my buddy Tyler Hildebrandt on there. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he was great. And uh, you have a lot of great topics on there. And I should also say, guys, if you're not already connected with Dooner on LinkedIn, connect with Dooner, Tim Dooner. <laughs> he has a first name. He's like Elvis or Madonna that way, but he does have a first name. Tim Dooner, connect with him and connect with Kevin Hill from Freightways because what they do a really good job of is getting a conversation going on LinkedIn. And there's a whole bunch of us will be commenting. And it's funny, like I probably, if I go to LinkedIn right now, there's probably me called out to say, what are you doing in this situation? And so they get all this feedback online, which is real easy for everybody. And then they put it on their podcast. And and so they've got really good insights from people. And it's kind of cool because you get to hear your name. Uh, hey, uh, Joe Lynch suggested blank. <laughs> and you're like, hey, I'm famous. I'm on, the, I'm on the podcast. But it's a great way to go. And I think in, you know, you talked about the the engagement you have on radio. This is a new way of getting engagements. You guys do a really good job of getting everybody involved, which is, let's face it, if, if somebody who are the experts, the people who you guys are talking to online get to have a say on your show, your show gets that much better. And that's in the shows. Well, and what's great too is it brings other people's sort of archetypal experience. You know, we all have different experiences, but a lot of us have shared in similar experiences, but I haven't shared that huge cross-sections experience. I have my own. It probably resonates with some people. And my audience can also bring in that experience. And if I involve them in the show and bring them on, and we brought audience members as guests on the show, like Nicole Barrett, for example, she'd been following our show. COVID-19 hits. She loses her job. Now she's starting her own company. And so we had her on we're, and we're kind of following her journey. We had an episode on starting your own business so we can get some live context on what she's going through starting a business during COVID-19 in 2020 as someone who maybe didn't have the most confidence to begin with, right? Right. I saw her. It's Nicole Barrett, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Freight by Nicole is her new company. So I saw, I think she created some video on LinkedIn. I was like, oh, she's good at this. And so actually, since we're mentioning Nicole, my good friend, Nicole Glenn, also is creating videos. And I was working with her on some other projects. And I said, you got to get that video on your website. I mean, so there's a lot of people starting to play around with this, the media in a way that I shouldn't say play around, are starting to add a lot of great value on LinkedIn, through video, through audio. And it's exciting. And I think going forward, this is going to become the way we sell. And because if you're the CEO and you've got a product to sell and you go, it's really hard for me to communicate this through all my reps and you can speak directly to your audience and they go, oh, wow. Yeah, that's exactly it. It makes it a lot easier for your salespeople to understand your value prop, but also you're hearing right from the CEO what they do. So I'm very impressed with what's going on there. Yeah, there, there's been like an explosion, especially this year. And I don't know if it's a uh, like the COVIDization people are stuck inside, but there's been more people turning the camera on and getting behind a microphone, especially in our side of the business that I've seen a lot that are in that put that coffee down community. And the only thing I would, and I haven't done a show on like, but we've done it on video and stuff. But the only caution I would have to some people is that it's the things that are a lot more work in doing this stuff when you're trying to do show formats isn't necessarily doing the show itself. That's actually the easiest part. Like what we're doing right now, this is the easy part. The hard part is doing the marketing and the constant, constant, constant grind and push yeah. you have to do, especially on social media. And it'll grind you down if you don't stick with it. It's not always the most rewarding thing, but when it is, it is. it can be massively rewarding. The only thing I would say is just sort of leave your ego at the door a little bit. I mean... Not just in jet, you're gonna have a easy, you're gonna have an easier time. You're gonna be more genuine. But even at like Freightways, we not everyone who's come to Freightways has worked out. We've had a couple of people who they didn't fit like the mold where they want to row the pirate ship. They kind of just wanted to be, I don't know, on the gangplank or something. So we made them walk it. But you know, if you don't want to help the team grow, you don't need to be here. Just go and do it on your own if you think you're that good at doing it yourself. There's uh, as you can see, there's more than enough content creators creating out there. But if you do want to be part of an awesome team and you do want to plug into Freightways amplifier and you do want to join a great team then i think that there's very few places in the world that are as good as chattanooga for that at freight waves yep it's silicon valley of trucking <laughs> so tim wrap this bad boy up for us put a bow on it let's put a bow on it all right everyone so and then before we leave i want you to plug what's going on over at freight waves i guess we've been kind of doing that anyway but we'll do uh that'll be the final segment I think that, you know, all this stuff, all of this stuff is just about respecting your audience and treating them like regular people who like regular content and who like to be entertained and learn and have that edutainment and all of those kind of things. Freightways tries to bring transparency through the market, and that is done via data, via writing, via voice and via video. And, you know, I'm proud to be one of the people rowing that ship. If you want to hear more from us, go to Freightways.com to read that stuff. Talk to a sonar rep if you want a sonar demo and you want to get ahead of the market as best as you can. And I tell you, you know, if you're living out of like the dad or the cast index, you're doing yourself a disservice because you're doing what Joe said. You're getting like that paper in your hands a couple of weeks late. And it's like, yeah, great. I I kind of know I'm paying too much on spot rates or, or whatever. But I think there's a lot of great information on there. We work with great people over at Freightways who are doing research. And I think that we're hopefully doing it the right way. If you want to hear more of the audio side of stuff, you can subscribe to Freightcast on your favorite podcast player of choice. as every single Freightways podcast. If that is too much and too overwhelming, you can look them up individually as well as they're there. We do live shows every day on LinkedIn and Facebook at noon Eastern time on Freightways LinkedIn, Freightways Facebook. Subscribe to them, get the alerts. The hosts are all trained to be very interactive and to to answer audience questions and those kind of things. And we're just trying to 
take advantage of the tools that are given to us now. Like on a live news broadcast, they still haven't really figured out the audience engagement, right? They like tell people to tweet and stuff and it shows at the bottom of the screen, but you don't see like the newscaster behind the desk interacting with the live audience and answering valid questions. And we're not going to answer every single troll on earth that might leave a comment, but it's a valid question that enhances what we're doing more than welcome. I mean, that helps build our stuff because the context that's important to me is what the people outside, the people listening to the show are hearing. That is the audience. Without them, the shows do not exist. Yep. Tim, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you taking the time. And I really am uh, glad we had a finally got to meet. I talked to you again last year. I think you helped me when we were trying to get Craig Fuller on my podcast. There was technical difficulties, just like today. You yeah. know, I specialize in technical difficulties. and uh, territory. Yeah, yeah. And finally got a chance. And again, I feel like I've kind of known you for all these years when I listen to your podcast and I know Kevin Hill pretty well. And so finally, finally got you on here and I, it was worth the wait. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joe. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. <laughs>